This is John Yablonski, former Seton Hall men's basketball player, and you're listening to Left Coast Pirates. Just west of the Ward Place Gate, from San Diego, California, he is Mike Dizzy Deziri, class of 2001. I am Tommy Chilkaharski, class of 1997, and we are Left Coast Pirates. Good afternoon, Michael. How are you today? Good afternoon, Tom. Glad to be back on. So, Mike, a funny thing happened after we released the Marcus Toniel interview. In general, our summer session interviews have been a real fun way for us to relive the days gone by, inform newer fans about things that happened before they started being fans, and as a fun side effect, we've had folks pull back the curtain a little bit. We've learned a lot of things that people outside the inner circle aren't normally privy to. As an example, Donald Copeland talked about the injury that almost derailed this senior season. Now, Usually we get a lot of comments on stories that tell us how great the players were, their obvious love for the alma mater. Marcus was no exception. Listeners were drawn to his passion and his love for the Hall. They talked about his memories of how things came about and his passion in general for the game of basketball. And based on that, they couldn't understand why he didn't have another shot at coaching at the collegiate level, which he obviously desires to do. This, however, drew a response from some people from different platforms like Rivals Message Board saying that he was blackballed due to some issues that arose during his time at Fairleigh Dickinson. Now, blackballed is a very strong word, and without people going into detail as to what to happen, it leaves the imagination running wild. So, Mark has actually reached out to us and said he wanted to give his side of the story. So we're bringing him back today so he can clear the air and share some insight about these rumors. So I can understand why, like, some would wonder, why didn't you just kind of ask Marcus that question when you had him talking about the coaching portion of his career? And my response to that is pretty simple. Out of respect to our guests, we are only going to ask a specific question on a topic if we personally have the factual background for that subject matter. I mean, message boards can be a lot of fun to discuss you know, topics of passion, such as Seton Hall basketball. Uh, They offer, you know, links to different articles, information from reporters who professionally cover the team. However, the majority of the time, it's just more of an opportunity for people like us to share an opinion and have fun. So when it's rumored that something negative happened, I don't believe it's fair to speculate when there possibly could be, or normally is, two sides of the story. So I completely understand why Marcus would, you know, want to come back on to tell his side of the story and not let it linger out there much longer. I mean, this this has happened almost six years ago now. So it, it's got to be probably weighing on him. And I appreciate and respect the fact as to why he wants to come back and address it in a professional manner. 
Now, this is different from our question about the Georgetown incident. While the details for that incident were kind of unknown, if you will, uh, the results from that incident were well known. There were suspensions. <laughs> there were marks on people's faces. Yeah, I mean, come on. I mean, it was it was in the public media. It was highly reported and talked about that something went down in the locker room. There was fallout with Eddie getting a suspension. And you, you joke about it, but Ty had a, no pun intended, a shiner. Uh, or when we asked Jerry about uh, the urban legend about Roly Massimino getting kicked out of Bob Hurley Sr.'s house, you know, that was documented in the book and we were just asking to see if we actually got a confirmation of it so this is a little different totally agree totally so let's let's bring marcus on and, and let marcus do his thing welcome back to left coast pirates live marcus toniel marcus how are you doing today hey i'm all right man i'm vertical so i guess i'm fine <laughs> that's good hey so let me set the stage here and then we'll let you get going. The podcast came out last week and you get a message from someone with a screenshot talking about you being blackballed because of something that may have happened when you were on the coaching staff at Fairleigh Dickinson. This didn't sit right with you. You reached out and you said you wanted to clear the air. Now, we initially didn't ask you about any of this because we didn't have any substantiated information about it. As far as we were concerned, these were all rumors and we don't work in rumors. So, Marcus, what happened? <laughs> well, shoot, blackball, that, that, that's a strong word. I hope I'm not blackball. I don't even look at the situation as such. But for years, and it's been, it's been six years, and I've never spoken about what happened. Part of that is because um, to this day, me and my, my head coach from FDU, we, we have a good relationship. We speak, we text. We were just at a wedding together a couple of weeks ago of a guy that we both used to coach. And he also made phone calls on my behalf to, to other coaches. Now, how the story gets twisted and run through the mud and get put out there about what happened six years ago, I've always left that to the people that would, would hear it. So, you know, they formulate their own opinion because in the beginning, my attitude was anybody that wanted to believe anything that was out there without speaking to me or hearing from me, knowing the kind of person I, I've been, my whole life, then th that's on them. I always felt that I thought that for the very, at the very least, I, I did enough for people to understand my character and, and, and how I move. But for it still to be um, like a lingering topic, not that I'm going to put it to, to rest. It is a, a, a part of my story. It's something um, did happen. I did make a mistake, but never to the degree that I believe people believe it happened for, for me to be uh, blackballed or me to be questioned. Marcus, do you feel comfortable kind of elaborating on what that specific mistake was? Oh, absolutely. So I'm in my third year coaching at, at the college level, and I, th I thought we weren't winning. We weren't, we weren't winning many games, but we were able to have players. We always had players. If anybody wanted to look at the FDU roster, you'll see that we have players on that on that staff, and those players don't end up at FDU, you know. But through networking and connections, like things happen individually from year to year. Every post player that that I had at FDU had gotten better from, from day one. From the time I got there to the time I left, our post players had gotten better. So I was feeling good about being in a collegiate setting. I knew that's where 
where I could thrive. So any anything that would go against that, I just wasn't totally with. I'm I'm a classic soldier. Like I, I ride for for my for whomever I'm working with and my head coach. You know, I, I ride with them. I protect them. I'm a roll with them, and everything is everything. But it, there was one particular day where, for some reason, things were left. I didn't understand why they went left. Because for me, it was, you know, another day in the office, business as usual. I'm not sure what, what triggered the response I got, but it went left. And my coach, he, he, he told the whole staff to just go home. And I'm like, all right, well, I'm out then. So everybody left. But when we all walked down, I came back up because I'm like, well, I've been here the longest. You know, I got a relationship with my head coach. And I said, coach, man, what's going on? Like, why, like, why, are we, why do we have to leave? And he says what he says and there's some attitude. All right, so I left. But when I left, Wait, let me back up a little bit. My second year at FDU, I was uh, asked to be the associate head coach. Part of me being the associate head coach, my head coach wanted me to speak to the athletic director every day, every day. And then it carried over into my third year. So every day for two years, I spoke to my athletic director about what was going on in the program, how I could get better. Um, within the business, just teaching me some of the behind-the-scenes stuff that, that uh, take place off of the court, things of that nature, learning the rules and just learning everything. So every day, whether it was five minutes or 20 minutes, it could have been a life question. I remember one day, we're in the office talking about um, how to plant flowers because I had just bought a house. So I obviously built a relationship with that um with our athletic director. When we get kicked out and, and he's giving me all this attitude, I'm not used to I'm not used to people like lashing out at me, like the way that that happened. And at the time when I left the second time, I was like, well, I don't want to say nothing to the people in my network because now I'm taking in-house business out of house. I don't want to say nothing to my, my head coaching network because again, I'm taking in-house business and, and putting it out there. So I spoke to the athletic director from a standpoint of, hey, can you help me with this situation? I don't know how to react. Almost like a like a mentor situation. He goes, all right, tell me what happened. So I tell him what happened, and he goes, he said, yeah, I can help you with that. And he goes, can you, he said, type it up, and I'll speak to him about it. So I said, all right, no problem. At that time, I'm looking at it as, he's helping me. Um, I want to obviously fix whatever the issue was because the coach didn't single me out as Marcus Tony, Marcus Tony, you get out the office. He said, oh, y'all go home. But I also, when I went back to talk to him and he said what he said, I'm like, yo, why, why is this, where's this anger coming from? And he didn't want to talk to me. So I thought by speaking to my athletic director, he could help me talk to him. And my coach is in the, in the last year, his contract at the time, but none of that's playing in my mind. So I do it. I send it to my, to athletic director, but I also, I CC my head coach in the same email, because I don't want him to think that I'm going behind his back. I'm like, nah, this is what I'm doing. I'm, like, I'm talking to him so that he can help us work this thing out. Long story short, the whole thing went left. Now it's, I'm trying to get him fired. I want his job. Um, I can't be trusted, and things of that nature. When I actually thought I was doing the right thing by keeping it in-house and speaking to the one person that you had me speak to for the past two years at that point. So like from that, like I, I was I was suspended from the team for like a, for like two days, and then I was welcomed back. And then when a year was over, and they didn't renew um, his contract, and we got let go. You know, it was just a lot of bad press about the situation and me trying to take his job and things of that nature. And that was never the case. I honestly thought I was doing the right thing. And but as I've grown and you get older and you're around, you see more. It's like it, it just wasn't the right thing to do. It, it truly was a a, a mistake. But I, I actually had all, I had all good intentions in trying to to do the right thing. Let me ask you a question here, Marcus, and this is from a like a corporate America type perspective from like where 
I can try to relate it back to what I do for a living. Do you think it got perceived that because the complaint or the situation was put into a documented email that it was taken more seriously as a derogatory perspective against your coach? Would it may have just come across differently if you sat down all three of you in your AD's office and just kind of had like a, you know, kumbaya powwow about it? Or do you think the the actual written action of an email just got misconstrued? Because that's the way well, I'm kind of listening to the, to the story. I honestly thought that was going to happen. I thought the three of us sat down what was going to be the happening. I think, like you said, because it was put into writing as if, if, if I, like I was trying to get him in trouble, so to speak, kind of went left. But in the email, it says, I'm only doing this so that you can help me fix the relationship what happened between myself and my head coach. Like I, I wrote that within the email. So it, it didn't, it wasn't like, yo, like I'm badgering them. I was just trying to help fix the situation. I just thought he was the person I could turn to because anybody else I would turn to would be me airing out um, dirty laundry within the program. And I didn't want to, I didn't want to do that. No, I get it. It's a, it's a time in that contract for your head coach where, you know, I, I don't, I don't know the FDU progression of his tenure at that point, whether he was on track to get a renewal of a contract or maybe, maybe behind the scenes, they were looking to find a reason to kind of move on from, you know, his tenure at the head coach. So anything that could have been perceived as a negative strike against him, I could see where an individual would have some animosity towards that email or how the proceedings then played out afterwards. He, he could have very easily been defensive because he could see the writing on the wall relative to that next contract. I, I'm, I'm a, like I said, I'm, I don't remember that situation relative to FDU. I'm just right. kind of speculating, but that's kind of how it seems like it may have played itself out. Right, and I agree. The, the thing is, like, at that time, I, I'm not even thinking of anything like that. And for anybody that, that wants to be a coach, obviously I wouldn't tell them to do what I did. But, you know, if my next coach says, yo, go home, I'm going to just go home. But, like, there's it, it, no reason for me to try to go back and talk to you. There's no reason for me to try to talk to somebody that I think has your ear. I'm not going to do any of that. I'm going to just go home. Because I've always been the kind of person that just wanted everybody to get along. I just want people to, to enjoy life and to live and, and have fun. And, like, we don't need this anger. Like, we got to find out where this anger comes from. Because if it comes from something I said or I did, well, we could fix that. If it came from, from somebody else, well, then you know what? Let's together, let's address that somebody else so that we can work this thing out. And like I said at that time, I, I truly, in my, in my heart, felt that I was doing the right thing by not speaking to anybody outside the FBU um, program. I thought because I was asked to, I was asked to, I didn't choose to, I was asked to meet with my athletic director every day for my last two years there. Obviously the, the relationship that he and I are going to have is going to develop and it turned into more of a mentor than it was my boss, so to speak, or my boss's boss. He became more of a mentor and I asked him for help from a, a mentor standpoint, not from an employee HR perspective. No, it makes sense. Do, do you feel like the anger of the head coach that kind of, you know, got to hit the point where he asked the staff to leave practice? Was that more of just a, hey, he didn't like how the, the play on the court was, or he felt like there was a disconnect between him and his staff at that point? To be honest, I don't know, because it happened like 9, 10 o'clock in the morning. Yeah, it just came in. Like, we was just in, and I think the kids had off that day. So that's why we were able to come in a little later. So I truly didn't know where it came from. That's why I was so thrown. To be honest, my coach and I, Shoes and I, we haven't even spoken about it. The first time we spoke about it was maybe 20... 
14 or 15 down at Peace Jam. We, he pulled, he saw me pull me to the side and we just spoke about the ramifications of it or what happened without going into too much detail. He apologized to me. Um, I accepted his apology. I apologized to him for whatever I caused for it to be that way. From that day forth, he and I have been fine. Like I said, I call him, we text, you know, um, he, he, he asked me about, about kids and, and the whole and, and everything else. And when I've tried to get jobs and I've gotten down a line with jobs, um, he had no problem in calling calling coaches to speak on my behalf. Well, you know, you were asking where the anger could be. I mean, you mentioned that from a wins and loss perspective, you guys weren't having a whole lot of success. It was the last year of a contract. Maybe he was feeling the pinch. That kind of stuff can be stressful, especially when you don't have a guarantee for the next year. Right. I mean, but again, when I, I was still new in the coaching, though I played and, and I've been around basketball a long time, I've never been on the other side. So those stresses, and those, like I'm not even thinking about those things, quite honestly. I, I, my only thought is, let me let me get, keep working and getting players in here. And, and that last year, my last year, I think that the second best guard in Jersey um, as a senior was the, was this kid, Sekou Harris, from Plainfield. I got him to come to Philly Dickinson. The kid is getting recruited by, by Hofstra and things like that. Like, he's at Philly Dickinson. So that's what my head was. Like, who, who's the next player I, I'm, I'm going to try to go get? The, the the things that my head coach is dealing with, I wasn't thinking about it. That's something that in my next situation I would, I would take into consideration. But I, I, I truly was blind or numb to those things. I just wanted, I just had my head down, getting players and getting players better. So, Marcus, you know, what sounds like maybe quasi-inexperienced by a young coach not being able to handle a situation appropriately. The, the funny part is in the business world, you probably handled it appropriately because you and a you and your boss were having an issue and you know when you have that you have to go up to the next level but there have been situations where other coaches throughout uh, college basketball have done more egregious uh, acts there's been violence toward players there's been other situations like this and we don't have violations of recruiting and we don't have to name names but how how do you how do you feel about not getting that second chance yet? Well, honestly, I, I truly believe everything is in God's time. That that's my my belief, and and, and that's my heart, and that's that, that's something that that I, I took from from Louis Or is because as much as I want something, as bad as I want it, God might just be protecting me from something else. And when the situation happens, when that time is right, whatever I thought it was going to be, is going to be a, a thousand times better. So for any other any of the other coaches, why they were able to get their second chance, I mean, we could speculate and, and throw throw a bunch of things out there but I guess it was just their time to have that to have that chance but I don't believe that there's been a round table where people just sitting there like yeah we got to figure out how to keep Marcus Tony out <laughs> like I, I, I'm not even a blip on the radar but I do know that it has been a topic of conversation amongst high level coaches because like just this summer I'm coaching our um, our AAU team I'm an assistant coach Tim Thomas just came back to Jerry um, and he's coaching our program and uh, a coach from a, a Power 5 conference who's friendly with Tim is talking to Tim and pulling to the side like, hey man, you, blah, 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 blah. you got to watch uh, your assistant, Tony L. Tim goes, yeah, he goes, yeah, man, something happened. So 
the game's over, Tim and I arrive back on a bus, and he and I get to talking. I'm like, yeah, that's crazy. And I ended up now having to tell a Tim the story, and, I, and he, Tim said he ain't give it that much uh, attention, even though he knows the guy, he respects the guy. But the fact that here we are six years later, and the the friends thought they were looking Tim out. Like, because if I'm a friend, I'm going to do that to my friend. Like, yo, man, this is what I heard about, you know, somebody that's on your staff. But for me to still be pegged with that at times, it, it does get it frustrating because of the fact that you just said there are people that do way worse things intentionally. And, and you know, somehow it, it gets uh, looked past. Where they get like a shorter sentence, so to speak. Like, a, I'm doing six, and, and, and they get out of it in, in a year or two. <laughs> Well, but you just kind of described it. it. It occurred six years prior, and here's you know somebody talking to Tim playing the game of telephone still. So how many times was that story retold before it ended up in the ear of that other gentleman? And then he's kind of telling Tim to kind of you know watch his back. The stories get kind of completely you know misappropriated by the time that it gets to the fourth or fifth individual, and it's spread out over that long period of time. You should have heard the rumors and stories of what people thought happened in the Georgetown locker room until you came on the <laughs> podcast and actually gave us the real deal. I mean, right? So kind of put to bed a lot of these rumors over the years. Tom doesn't want to name names. I want to name names. I think when you are that prominent, and look, I, I am, I'm not a, I'm not, you know, I have no recourse on Bobby Knight and the rest of his career, but let, let's use Bobby Knight for an example. I think when you're in the upper echelon, this almost kind of like ideological type position in front of the fan base and the university, I think there is a lot more leeway for what you can get away with. And I also think the money and the support that these major icons bring into their program, give them the latitude to make a mistake and get a second chance. It's it's a business, mm -hmm. which is unfortunate. Mm -hmm. Well, that's a fact because those people have worked their asses off to be in the upper echelon to be granted that like quote unquote privilege. When, when you got guys like um, Bobby Knight who, who worked their whole career to accomplish what they've accomplished and they reach the upper echelon, you know, you, you kind of get a break. It's like that in every facet of the world. And the guys, the workers, the guys that are grinding, that are trying to get to the Bobby Knight status, you know, our role is a little tougher and we're not afforded the same um, slaps on the wrist or the, the same forgiveness in this offset. The only way I'll be forgiven is if I'm if I'm at a Power 5 school or, or a school where they just start winning or they're, they're getting the best players and people start saying, you know what, Tony L doing his job. Then I'll be forgiven and people won't even pay attention to what happened to us. So as much as I wanted to go away, people were going to pay attention because I'm not back in just yet. And the hardest the hardest thing to do right now is to get back in. So it's going to take somebody to take a chance and just believe that I'm still the same person I was prior to coaching that fairly ticket. Meaning, like, I'm still loyal. I'm still honest. I'm still going to work hard. I'm still going to do everything necessary. But understand, I also learned from my experience at FBU, both good and bad. And the mistake that I made was an experienced mistake, but it's not something that I should be charged and, and hung at the, the stake for. Like, that's, that's absurd. You know, you think it has anything to do with the fact that the situation was with another coach as opposed to say like a Mike Rice who had situations with players it's almost like oh he had problems with players he's going to do some time and he's going to come back I mean this past year I think there was a lot of interest uh, at St. John's where Chris Mullen wanted to bring him on but well I, I, I do believe that has a lot to do with it because it's when you're working for a coach, this is how that coach feeds his family, decide to take care of his family. And if it's coming off as I'm in the way of that, then I can see why somebody would be 
standoffish. But at the same token, I'm like, well, if you believe that I can help you, then at least ask me what happened. Let's have a conversation about what happened. Let me tell you my side of what happened. Let's not just take what was out there at face value and roll with it. And like I said at the beginning, I thought that people would at least extend me that olive branch because I have done nothing but uh, represent myself, my university, my, my program, my high school, my family with, with the utmost respect. And for me to, I guess, be be treated as an outcast at this point, sometimes it, it does get disheartening because I have nothing but respect for every head coach in this industry. I know how hard the business is, and all I'm trying to do is help a program get players so that they could win. That's it. If you want to ask me some X's and O's, I got that for you too. So <laughs> let, let's let's stick with Mike Rice here for a second. Uh, I'm not. This is not to pick on Mike Rice, but you started the, the podcast by talking about the word blackball and how that's just kind of not really appropriate to describe the situation. And and you hope it's not that you're blackball because blackball is kind of more of like a Colin Kaepernick type example where maybe there's a conspiracy theory going on behind the scenes where a collective group and a large collective group is not going to hire that individual or give that person an opportunity. I don't think the word blackball is appropriate. Maybe the word untouchable in terms of Mike Rice is more appropriate because in Mike Rice's situation, the issue didn't get contained to the sports media world. This ended up being a mainstream national media story you know they're, they're doing bits on him on saturday night live kind of making fun of the situation he was a household name from a very bad perspective when this all went down so if if you're kind of in this untouchable category i get it as to maybe why mike's not getting those jobs i don't see how that correlates anywhere in the same light as to what we've described with you well, are you dealing with somebody's family, as in the Mike Rice situation, or it's perceived that you're dealing with, you're, you're stopping somebody's money, which is perceived in, in my situation, then those two, for a lot of people, walk the same line. Um, you don't interfere with either one of those, their money or their family. Um, the, the wild part is the Mike Rice I know. I respect the hell out of Mike Rice. I know him to be an unbelievable coach. I pick his brain, you know? The things that happened at Rutgers, that happened with kids that I used to coach, you know? But it, it was hard, but I had ultimately had to separate Mike Rice, the actions, versus Mike Rice, the coach. So in my mind, Mike Rice, the coach, absolutely should be coaching somewhere in college. Mike's got a great reputation well, over here, right? I mean, his X's and O's are strong. His connection to the kids are strong. I mean, that's all I hear as he's kind of trying to work himself back. Listen, he, on my phone right now, I have like four video recordings of Mike Rice teaching different things in basketball that I apply to this day. But I, I keep it there just as a reminder of, of people that, that I think are, are are meant to be college coaches. And he's definitely one of them. He made a bad mistake. And if this was 10 years ago and it happened, 15 years ago and it happened, Mike Rice should have a job. It's still a job. You know, like it's just the way the media is, the way social media is, the way people feel like they have more say so than they've ever had nowadays is the reason why certain things happen and certain things don't happen. So somebody like him, I'm, I'm not even saying what he did wasn't wrong. 
I just know he's been out of the game long enough for somebody to say, you know what, but let's, let me get this guy a chance. Well, Marcus, we really appreciate you choosing to come back on with us to kind of clear the air. We still wish you nothing but the best. We appreciate you, and you're welcome back here anytime. Hey, thanks for having me, man. And I know this is impromptu. I know that it's totally unexpected. Hell, I didn't even think that that I would do it. I, I've been asked to, to talk about it, and, I, and I've stayed quiet for so long. But like I said, my relationship with, with my head coach, um, Greg Vitron at this point is a very good relationship. Um, I have no problems with Coach Shoes. He and I get along. So for anybody to attempt to paint a picture that we don't or to attempt to paint the picture that, that I was just some conniving, backstabbing um, assistant coach, uh, it's wrong and, and it's egregious. And, and to further repeat a story that they have no knowledge of is even worse. The best thing that, that came from it is, is I learned and Greg and I have mutual respect for each other, and our relationship will will forever grow, even with what that that blip on my radar from my uh, my past to coaching. So, like I like I always say, it, it's going to happen for me one day, and when it does, wherever I am, we're we're going to have so much success that my FDU tenure will just be a learning experience for everything that's prosperous to come. Well, Marcus, they say there's always two sides to a story. And once again, thank you for sharing your side with us today. Thanks for having me, guys. So if you've enjoyed this podcast, please listen to our previous podcasts, which include interviews with former players Donald Copeland, Desi Rodriguez, Angel Delgado, and Jerry Walker. For Tommy Chilkoharski, I am Mike Dizzy Deziri, and you have been listening to Left Coast Pirates. (laughs) 